0: This is the Video Jumpyard Podcast. We are here. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. It's, a lion. it's, a lion. it's a
1: lion. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all part of Bubblegum.
2: From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half ape, with the strength of twenty demons. Yes. Yeah, I don't
3: know. I, don't know. I, I... Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. With me, as always, my good friends and co-hosts, Eric Branson and
1: Ryan Steiskel. How's it going tonight, guys? I was half. no
2: it's going pretty good. I, have I was sorry ex- to hear about that little <laughs> yeah. issue that you had but I'm sorry
1: uh, yeah, I'm unfortunate that you have not yet gotten it you gotta get on that man get on that yeah, finger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, get straight to the point if you know what I mean uh, yeah. I was I was actually half expecting you to start off this episode with like we we're somewhere halfway in the interview when the drugs started to kick in uh, but instead <laughs> yeah. you went straight for a prostate exam like that's a good sign of maturity for us, I think. To some extent, I think so too. Yeah. I, I took the high road there.
3: Yeah, no low hanging fruit, <laughs> right? No, no backcountry here. At all. We're just just
2: being, oh. yeah. Just we're getting older and spreading awareness for. You know, <laughs> go get your uh... spread. Go get your colonoscopies, everybody.
1: Get everything
3: checked. So, yeah, just, just get the whole yeah, fucking
1: get
2: a full overhaul. Get
3: the
1: yeah. car in for a tune-up and go in for one yourself. Just yeah. if you're lucky, it's the same plot, same space too. Like get an oil change, get the prostate checked. Like that's one and done. That's where I say oh, they should. They should do that. You know? They should but just yeah. make yeah.
3: just make sure they're licensed don't go to some dirty back alley if a, go to a professional
1: if a socially awkward 19 year old grease monkey can fix your car he can probably fix your prostate no right no <laughs>
2: yeah watch out for those discount colon, colonoscopy clinics
3: That's, uh, your, your neighbor may know how to work on his it doesn't mean he knows how to work on yours
1: yes <laughs> this is the greatest so. psa i think we've ever done <laughs> um don't uh, get well, back alley prostates course, then, you know, buy, him, buy
2: him a 12 pack and uh, <laughs> anyway that, that's getting weird so yeah <laughs>
1: what's weird is when they call you a day later going like hey did you find my wedding ring I'm like sorry what <laughs> no but we found <laughs> keys found keys so. yeah and a car seat that's not
2: mine <laughs> yeah hang on let me check and rummage around in like the junk drawer like <laughs>
1: I got a drawer specifically for for just these items and occasion. Oh, my God. Well, if anybody's
3: wondering, uh, the theme that we're going for here, it's uh, really tied in close with the experiences of the movie that we're going to talk about tonight. (laughs) Fear and Loathing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course, tonight we are talking about the 1998 American black comedy adventure film Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas.
0: I want me to go to Las Vegas at once. As your attorney, I advise you to rent a very fast car with no top. Tape recorder for special music. Get the hell out of LA for at least $48. We're all set. If I
1: could just get you, John Hancock, you're on your way. Yeah. Listen, you're going to be real careful with this car, right? Oh, yeah, man.
0: Let's get the boy lift. We can't stop here. This is backcountry. Ah, damn, I never rode a convertible before. Get out. Hey, uh, I to the ride! You can't park your car here! Why not? Is this not a reasonable place to park? Reasonable? You're on a sidewalk! Fire! What's the score here? <laughs> Lucy paints portraits of Barbra Streis. God bless. What the hell? Look what you're doing to your car. <laughs> Someone should stop that. Please, are you people crazy? What are we doing out here in this godforsaken room? The emperor's over there. Right? I've never missed a plane yet. <laughs>
2: Pictures presents the story that defined a generation, Johnny
0: Depp, hey. Hey, how are you? Benicio Del Toro. Let's get down to brass tacks here. How much for the eight? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a Terry Gilliam film. All right, now I've got to go. Time lunch. Radio, man, radio
3: quite the adventure uh, so, oh my god yeah. um, Bilbo so, and Sam don't know shit they <laughs> compared to lose, this adventure lose their minds um, mm-hmm. so this one's directed by Terry Gilliam uh, based on the novel by Hunter S. Thompson uh, stars Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro, Johnny Depp plays Raul Duke which is a pseudonym of Hunter Thompson uh, and Belt Del Toro plays Dr. Gonzo um, his attorney, so they go to Vegas on a drug induced binge but really, there's more to the movie than that, so we're going to dive into that this evening. Um, mm-hmm. What's your guys' Absolutely. experience with uh, with this one, Ryan? When when did you first... I know this
1: isn't your first time seeing it. When when was your first time, though? So. Um, Much... I think it's, like, it's one of those few things that, like, I think I actually do culturally that we all do, is, like, you see it in college when you're in your 20s and you're smoking a bunch of weed. Um, just, like because that's the movie apparently to watch like there was no i don't know what why why it happened i think it was just in the store one day in like a record store saw it there for like five bucks I'm like, i I, suppose i should see this movie and did uh, and go like that was a really fucking weird movie i don't know if i'll ever watch it again and then proceed to watch it like several times a year uh or and at the very least once <laughs> a year after that uh and surprisingly this is the first time i've seen it in the last uh four years or so which given the current like climate of shit like mm, good timing weirdly enough um but yeah uh i love this film so fucking much it's a beautiful film
2: what about your um i believe the first time i saw this was when um a friend of mine probably you actually i know (laughs) it was you was like you gotta see this fucking movie (laughs) like essentially like i i think it was right when it came out on video i think we drug us down to your base that sounds a lot a lot creepier than i meant it to sound. we used to hang out in joe's basement but yeah i just like gotta see this and you put it on and yeah i'm pretty sure that's the first time i saw it It was actually your basement on fourth street and (laughs) yeah so
3: okay i'm i'm that's weird because i have a different i I remember seeing this with you in the theaters
1: oh god oh really did we see it in theaters but i could i don't think I i did so I saw this I did, one. But, I think I but saw it twice in the theater because
3: I, I I could get the free movie passes because I worked at one of the movie mm-hmm. theaters in town, and this was at it was the Colonial Village Mall in Rockford, Illinois. So that which was kind of the the more artsy mall, like there were clothing stores <laughs> yes. and galleries and things. And there, it's where this, the artsy movie theater was. This too. is I where the artsy movie thing. theater was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was the and it wasn't a megaplex. It was still the original style you know seating It wasn't stadium seating theater you know same sticky floors and
2: you know the whole old yep. theater look um yeah i could remember going there yeah. and seeing some movies such as like eyes wide shut american psycho um more more what i would consider arty films or like yeah still art- still major release art films but like yeah they, they wouldn't go out to the megaplex they'd play at that one when
3: Gone with the Wind was re released in like 1998 or something like that, it played there, you know, that yeah. kind of shit. Yeah. Um, so that's where I first saw this. And I would seen previews before something, probably some video I'd rented or something. But, um, and I'll be honest, I think actually it might have been Fangoria magazine that first turned me on to this because there were some behind the scenes shots from the reptile scene, which we'll probably talk about. Oh, uh, yeah. Because of some of the special effects that. in it. Yep um and i think that first caught my attention the to it and then, by
2: rob botane right did did the creature effects i believe like, so thing? yeah
3: yep um so i went and saw it in theaters and totally fell in love with it i think i went back and dragged a bunch of people and i thought you were among them M- maybe <laughs> maybe
2: that's be. maybe it wasn't video maybe it was the theater but yeah i do know it was at your your uh insistence that yeah i saw this movie the first time so Yeah,
3: this is. I remember getting this right away when it came out on video, like to purchase, and I I had the soundtrack as well, which is a great soundtrack. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, Absolutely, like anything based soundtrack. Yeah,
3: like anything based on on Hunter Thompson's work, it's going to have a really cool, fucked up soundtrack. Um, Mm -hmm. So, this was also, at least for me, my first introduction to Hunter Thompson, who's had a, a, a larger impact uh on me uh
2: since <laughs> yeah um, same and, and i think a lot of a lot of i don't know because we hung out a lot right around the time it, it will and forever pretty much but definitely right around the time this movie came out uh so i kind of was go went along on that journey i think a little bit when you were getting really into hunter thompson you'd talk about it a lot and so yeah, yeah. i got into it as well and started reading some of his books and yeah i the funny thing is though um at this point in my teens i smoked cigarettes
3: but not a lot like i think i did for like a pack a week um i didn't drink i i didn't do any drugs (laughs) i mean i smoked (laughs) cigarettes that was the that was the extent but i totally fucking loved this movie
1: (laughs) yeah so, it yeah, didn't inspire need, me to go crazy or anything. Yeah, you do not need to do drugs right. to, to, to watch and enjoy this film. I think that's why I liked it. Well, yeah.
2: In fact, like we were talking about just before we started recording, um, that this movie kind of, I feel like, should have scared us away from doing it. It didn't. It didn't. Yeah. But, <laughs> it, <laughs> like, a it lot does, of what it has to say, like, you know, <laughs> kind it does scare you away from that scene, but
1: i don't say it scared me away from I drugs guess but it definitely it did. scared me into like respecting I, I drugs guess, i would say I, I yeah
3: i i there's some that i would say oh yeah it by giving me a warning of like that exists i don't want to do that you don't want to do <laughs> because that because that's what it does do um <laughs> yeah. like, like show us like the worst case scenarios
1: and let us go off of that as a guide. yeah
3: right like the huffing ether stuff i'm just oh, like fuck no, no. <laughs> if that's what it makes you do i will gladly laugh at you doing it but i'm not doing that yeah no fuck um,
2: right you know any of like that they're, stuff. they're most of the drug situations they get into in this movie don't look fun this is a bender that's pushed to its extremes for reasons other than having a good time this is this is testing limits i mean that's what they're doing yeah you know this uh, is essentially so, like it's a, uh, this
1: is essentially the adventure which is more of just like another person's nightmare, like just watching like oh mm-hmm. god. Uh, I will say one of the most important lines that I got out of this film is you can turn your back on a man, but you can't turn your back on a drug. And I'm like yeah, oh. yeah, <laughs> nope. <Yep>. Th- those <laughs> yep. are those are oh.
2: honestly being around enough people, and not like I like live this rough life necessarily. Being around enough people in situations where drugs were involved or hardcore party. Like that's absolutely true. And you should take that seriously. <laughs> like, Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
3: Um, so I, I guess I kind of like to just kind of go through the plot. Um, because it's interesting. This, I think when we watched it as teens, it was this crazy movie about pe- people, acting stupid and shit on drugs and getting into mischief essentially. Right. And here was yeah. this character that is kind of a real person. He is, but there's also a caricature and he, it you know it was almost he's your ambassador like well hunter thompson still doing okay you know mm-hmm. um yeah he survived could, this so yeah like, he yeah. survived this so how bad could it be um but n- i think watching it now i i and reading the book then later in life uh, again because i read it around that time as well i love this movie i went and read the book and yeah it actually matches it quite well uh, mm-hmm. it's a good adaptation um but I think even back then when I read it, it was more about the antics and the philosophy of it was kind of lost on me in, in, as a teen. And yeah. I definitely appreciate it more as I've gotten older.
2: Um, yeah, I, I Putting think, it in historical yeah. context is super important. Like understanding yeah. the 60s and the, the youth movement of the 60s and drug culture of the 60s and kind of what happened post... 60s with all the assassinations and the manson family and kind of the death of like the hippie dream and this is a really strong piece about people reeling after that like yeah. not really no, no finding out where they're gonna land like yeah, yeah.
1: like this yeah. like i think like like when i like i mentioned before when i first watched it I'm like i don't know if i ever watched this again but i owned it uh and then constantly re-watching it and it's one of those films Uh, that every time you watch it I feel like you always get something more out of it or at this point now it's become like a comfort which is very weird that I I think (laughs) telling anybody that this is like a comfort movie for me but it is because (laughs) of those deeper it's a very beautiful film and like you you get dragged into this chaos this drug-fueled adventure uh, but it's really about like the failure of the counterculture movement, and like yeah, all yeah. the other, so the events. death of the American dream. Yep, yeah. or the degradation, or well, what is the actual American yeah. dream? Like the the ugly side of the American dream, like them doing binging on the drugs. That's part of the American dream. The other people who are against it, weirdly enough, part of the American. It's like you you question what and, the American and Las dream Vegas is. as a symbol.
2: Uh-huh. yep is the backdrop the symbol for american excess and which it i mean it still is i always say mm-hmm. that to people like you got to see vegas once because it is it just exemplifies to this day i think american excess so yeah it it, it yeah.
1: strips the layers of the americana like uh nuclear family or uh norman rockwell type fucking shit like you just it peels back to like the it, seedy underbelly of what it truly is and like if and Terry
2: you... Gilliam Go ahead. very brilliant brilliantly sorry to i didn't mean no, it's to jump fine. in yeah. the middle but very brilliantly installs like all of that stuff either you know the little bits of tv news yep. screens you see and stuff just the, the 60s the the late 60s i know this takes place in the very early 70s but um backdrop to all of this and the um, yep. it just very very well done so yeah and sorry. in the in a way um, the drugs
1: aren't mm-hmm. the ugly part the drugs are actually like for these people in uh, specifically, how you fucking navigate this minefield and keep a sane mind, which is an odd phrase to fucking say, but mm-hmm. it's a good movie <laughs> for that.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that play's really important, and I want to mention this before we get into the plot, is the whole concept of gonzo journalism, which Thompson's utilizing here in the writing, and and honestly, yeah, I agree. Gilliam really does a good
2: job in adapting. This was always considered a, an unfilmable project, too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah i mean this spent years they tried i mean they bought movie rights to this yeah. in what the the 70s at some point and yeah. uh it just never a script never really developed that was what people considered filmable yeah and, and technically it never did because terry gilliam was rewriting the screenplay 10 days before they started shooting so <laughs>
3: well yeah i mean it's it's not easy because of this concept of, of the the way that's the stories being told in in Gonzo. journalism which puts the the author in the, in the, as the central character of the story, essentially, but it's also heavily embellished or it, bits of fiction thrown in there. So you never really know what's real and what isn't. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like being on psychedelics and all of these narcotics in the most, the brightest symbol of excess in, you know, the post-hippie movement America, yeah, that's how everything kind of looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's really a cool project that all comes together uh but in terms of like what's real and what isn't in this it's it's almost impossible to say yeah with the exception of maybe like there was a race you know at this time or something like that like this act
2: this takes place these two people were probably in las vegas at the time when this said that's we know that much is true i think that's about the
3: (laughs) yeah that's probably it um So the, the film opens, it's 1971, you have Raoul Duke and Dr. Gonzo in this big red convertible zipping down the desert in Nevada, um, and uh, Duke, played by Depp, starts immediately seeing you know, hallucinating
2: bats in just this, it's a, it's a kick-ass opening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it honestly takes you on a ride for the first 40-some minutes of the film that doesn't really stop that forward momentum of drug binge before before it before you realize that it's going to get deeper i think then then, yeah. then, then it kind of kicks into what the film's really going to be about but um i of... always always found that was a test for people if you can make it through that first 40 minutes and you're really digging it then you're really gonna really gonna like the movie and if you were you know bored with it by then maybe it, it's not it for gives you, you a very but... <laughs>
1: good taste of who these people are and what adventure they're going to be going upon so, yeah. yeah, I agree with you. Like, if you don't, if you're not intrigued by the first, op- like, few minutes of the open uh, like, then you're not ready for when they enter Vegas. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, because then it jumps to a I think there's flash two types drag. of...
1: Yeah, I was
2: gonna say there's two types of people, and they both say exactly the same thing. They're like, "Who the fuck are these people, and what's wrong with them?" And then there's the other one that's like, "Who the fuck are these people, and what's, what's wrong with wrong them?" With like them. They're very intrigued, like <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> so. <laughs> there's
1: yeah. It's like I'm glad I'm in the theater and not in that fucking car. Sorry, Toby. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, yeah, and that's the other great
1: thing too is this movie is so packed
3: with cameos, like late and '90s cameos. Ones. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. the first one. Well, Benicio del Toro, like his career was really taking off at this point. Anyway, Johnny Depp was already a huge star. Um, yeah. And then the next character you see is
0: fucking, fucking Toby. Toby McGuire. Toby Maguire. Maguire. Yeah, Toby Maguire. Yeah. with Has the weirdest this, like, fucking haircut. Yeah, this ever. like
3: scrawny, balding, blonde, long. I mean, and if you ever look at the book though, and look at Ralph Steadman's illustration, it's spot on. Yeah in fact, in the in the Ralph Stedman illustration, the kid's wearing a Mickey Mouse shirt, and it's mm-hmm. not perfect Mickey Mouse, but it's more like obviously Mickey Mouse and Then in the movie, he's wearing a Ralph Stedman looking Mickey Mouse. yeah, it's all spiky and you know
2: drops and shit. so yeah I think I... I think Gilliam definitely took a lot of influence
1: from Stedman's artwork as well. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. can I just say like this has always been like a weird thing in my mind? uh with with toby mcguire's fucking character the hitchhiker with this you know the scrawny blonde going bald hair stuff like i'm thinking about like god around this time my dad would have been in his early 20s and i remember him telling me that he would just hitchhike across the country to places (laughs) and i always like like i wonder if could this have been him? (laughs) Like, I always wonder. Uh, I never actually watched this movie with him. Uh, I don't think, uh, I don't think he would really get into it funny enough. I don't think he would, but, uh, I, I wondered every once in a while. Um, my dad's not that aloof of a character, mind you, but I'm just like, Mm. I wonder. (laughs) Yeah.
3: So they, they pick up the hitchhiker and immediately he's freaked out because they're, screaming and swatting at bats oh before that they pull over i forgot this is fucking the this is part of the best intro ever he uh pulls over to get a fly swatter out of the trunk to swat at the imaginary bats. bats yeah and then he goes through his inventory
1: yep which mind you we didn't need I all used, these drugs for I, the trip but once, once you get once started you, said, you still have still have it memorized
3: <laughs> oh god yeah. <laughs> two bags of grass, 75 pellets of mescaline, five sheets of high-powered blotter acid, uh, plus a uh, salt shaker half full of cocaine, a quart of tequila, a quart of rum, a uh, quart of whiskey, case of beer, two dozen, two dozen amils, and a pint of ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we needed all that, mind you, but, yeah, then the...
2: the, the <laughs> when you find yourself in the grips collection. of a
3: serious drug collection... <laughs> the, the tendency is to push it to the limit. <laughs> yep. yeah.
2: yeah, and that—that that is a mantra for these characters in this movie. Like, that's push it to the limit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say there's so, so many
1: quotable fucking lines in here that I still to this day have used, and know many of other people who do the same. Um, even in the very intro, when Doctor Gonzo opens up the salt shaker for cocaine, and I'm moving. <laughs> Look what God just did. Look what God, God just fucking did to us! Did, did to us, man! It's like God, God didn't do, do it. That. You did. I knew you were a narcotics agent. I fucking knew it. It's it, America.
2: <laughs> like all of American cinema, that first ten minutes is one of my favorite cinematic fil- scenes of all time. I'll have to say. Oh, God, like yeah. it just like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, anytime something goes wrong, like go, go, I, God I, did to us, <laughs> I didn't really catch it
3: until I rewatched it this time. So I'm always seeing something new. That when, always, when the hitchhiker finally does depart after they tell him the tale and all that, and Thompson's like, "Well, fuck, I'm gonna miss him." When when Benicio del Toro says, "Did you see his eyes?" and he starts laughing, it's like he's been fucking with him the whole time. I thought he was just that fucked up. <laughs> But he's actually been fucking with him at least part of the time. I'm sure he was also really messed up, but he's actually just—he was just messing with the kid's mind the entire time. Yeah, at I, least that's how I saw it this time.
1: One it, of the ones that I picked up on this view, and uh, when when he's describing his his lawyer, he goes, "He's smone," I think. You're not prejudiced, are you? No. And then throughout the whole movie, Gonzo's just like. Despite his racial <laughs> handicap. <laughs> like, yeah. all these kind of, like, side comments. They don't like Samoans yeah. here. They don't yeah. like foreigners. Um, yeah. That one I caught for the first time. Uh, I think yeah, that comes right. a
2: little bit right out of Thompson himself a yep. little bit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, um, yeah, no, I think I could see that reading of the scene that he's fucking with him a bit because... Uh, We see as the film goes on that Dr. Gonzo definitely has a mean streak in him. Like, that is, he is a sadistic dude at times. So, especially in the grips of drug. So, there's, it's interesting how this film balances how both of them are
3: just totally nuts at one time and the other one is being the voice of reason. Yeah. They bounce back and forth a lot that way.
1: Yeah. Like a, like a weirdly destructive but functional relationship.
3: Like a, Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah cuz when they first arrive in Vegas just you know, after this scene uh after you know they both have stuck about 12 hits of blotter acid in their mouth. Um <laughs> Oh wait, the, I just uh, when you just it's, see it's it's definitely fun- yeah. Ooh. Yeah, the whole thing the like, whole like a cracker. Wow, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: Looks and like a woven uh, cozy or some shit from your grandma. Just the way
2: it's like <laughs> looks ooh. like it's but it's it. it's Dr. Gonza who seems like the rational one at first. Like it's it's uh as Dude, you're a lawyer that's, that's melting <laughs> down you know and and seeing images of well like, we definitely have to talk about the the lizard scene but oh yeah like so
3: well and i'll admit to i watched this time i watch it with subtitles and i always pick up more like it's subtle oh, yeah. changes in the dialogue like mm-hmm. it's just a it's a minor thing but after they take the acid and they're driving and he goes into like getting ready to check into a hotel under a fake name i always thought he started that sentence with take the acid after that we're gonna go do this and it always confused me why he ended that whole rant with i sure hope so but with the subtitles i noticed he asks him are you ready for that checking into a hotel under a fake name with an attempt Mm. to commit perjury, or fraud and attempt you know bringing drugs over the border i sure hope so yep (laughs) yep you know, with with all of this acid in your system, yeah, I sure
1: hope so. I did. And I of course, debated about you know, putting yeah. that on today. Actually, I, I I should try that the next video when it's put on the subtitles. I thought about yeah, it, yeah. I, yeah. I noticed that sometimes because there's a the but, one
3: thing about this is some of the dialogue is so blended with the background, it's hard to pick. Oh God! Uh, some of the little bits of exposition, especially with depth there,
1: performance yeah. or both their performances, with like they really play it as a person, like fucking gone yeah uh and like the way that the the voice just trails off and it's like yep anyone who's been around someone who's really fucked up knows that that's a real fucking thing like what did you say yeah, I was, uh, mm. yeah. okay yeah the subtitles really
3: <laughs> helped in this case but uh yep. <laughs> so but anyway they the flashback scene when the hitchhiker's in the car with them that mm-hmm. duke tells him is that they were sitting in Los. it was la right yeah. yeah yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah. they're in la some they're, hotel they're drinking margaritas yeah. yeah yeah they're they're drinking and all of a sudden this steward comes over with a phone and it's the magazine telling him to go to vegas to cover this uh the mint 400 motorcycle race in vegas yeah. but the way that duke acts about everything it, it seems right away is everything's a mission like that was headquarters yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna check into my soundproof suite you know and and his attorney, Doctor Gonzo, who's actually based on a real attorney and and uh, civil rights activist Oscar Zeta Costa, mm-hmm. um, who they had in real life, they had just started hanging out around this time because they were trying to collaborate on a project, and this is what resulted when they went to Vegas together, yeah, for this yeah. Uh, assignment for Rolling Stone. So they, um, which it's a the great scene too because the way Benicio del is, <laughs> you know. How uh, how Gonzalo's like? Well, as your attorney, I advise you to rent a convertible or rent a fast car with no top. We need to get Acapulco shirts. We need to get those, you know. And this, of this course, is... we'll need the cocaine.
2: He, he <laughs> makes is... a lot of uh very questionable suggestions with starting with that line. Well, as your attorney, I advise you. So it's, you know.
1: Yeah. Oh my my friend yeah. and Melissa and I. That's what we used to do all the time. Is like advise like as your attorney i advise you because we share we had a bond yeah. over this fucking film uh so much mm-hmm. so that for and i told this to these guys before the podcast but uh, one day as a gift to her i don't even think it was for her birthday just it was just the cheer her up gift one day i uh bought a empty like what looked like a suitcase from hobby lobby and i just decked the thing out with just to make it look like the drug case like not exactly but you know that same theme but it had like various candies uh cheetos puffs and other things that she liked i think there was a, like a little bottle of rum or some shit i can't remember but a few other like things and i gifted that to her because of that connection it's just like nice whew, my god that's man. awesome you could you could make a fortune on etsy with those yeah, oh god yeah i wonder <laughs> yeah maybe i should have it was a lot of work to put that shit together You'll
3: probably make a living just on that product yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely um the uh they get to vegas they go to check in to get press passes and stuff and at this point duke is just fucked like oh, he's tripping yeah. hard yeah um he starts and and so again i've never taken psychedelics um so i've been told though that the way they do the psychedelic hallucinations in this is in some cases is pretty accurate like the 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 carpet pattern kind of moving around and mm-hmm. climbing up things i've heard that's not totally off the wall no pun intended yeah yeah but i don't know
2: um yeah i I think it's (laughs) and i don't think anyone who's you know exper even experimented with drugs lightly has you know gone to the extent that's depicted here so like it's hard to know unless you are right hunter thompson (laughs) like what what the reality of this situation is but yeah Things like that, I think, are fairly realistic, uh, mm-hmm. especially the carpet patterns and, and, like, more things like that. Um, you know, lizards fornicating and eating each other. No. Maybe not as much. but knows? It might know, be a mix of, 12 of acid, it's yeah. You know, at one time on top of whatever else they were, you know. That's true. Well, mescaline already, we know that, too, so. Yep, they were on mescaline.
3: Um, oh, and, and they were taking um, uh, amyl nitrate
2: the popper things Mm -hmm. no yeah yeah let's not let's not forget about the alcohol
1: they're drinking and the cocaine they're using and so it's uh, yeah and the popper smoking i
3: mean it's everything
1: (laughs) most of these adventures literally are thus them trying to get from point a to point b which is usually walk through the lobby if you can Uh (laughs) Um, yeah
2: yeah like most
1: of them are that
2: yeah try to get off of the the, the merry round Gara- or the yeah, when they, carousel bar the carousel and, the worst fucking place on earth is the circus yeah the circus fucking themed casino yeah the, just um, they just tore that place down I, I stayed at that place the first time i was in las vegas and after see because i had seen this movie and it looks exactly like it still to this day like well well not to this anymore. day it's but, not, yeah. to this day now it looks like a whole new something because they oh. tore it down but uh yeah it was kind of cool seeing it and in the flesh but yeah the um the the
3: i think in vegas is a good backdrop for this because there's already I mean, i've only been there once and it was like for the afternoon i've never actually been there at night but um it, nah, it, you gotta I go kinda, back then Doesn't yeah count. it, it kind of feels <laughs> like um that and just from what i've seen in other media and stuff too that vegas is, is kind of a place where everything looks trippy anyway yeah. So it kind of well, makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if you would see all the stuff he would, but you know, like when he checks in, I the the check-in clerk, her face starts swelling a bit, and then she turns into a big fucking moray eel. <laughs> but when he sees everybody else in the bar turn into lizards, that was just a brilliantly made scene.
1: It's so hey, you and... the fucking golf shoes. <laughs>
2: Someone who is giving booze to these goddamn animals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like eight foot
1: tall
3: iguanas (laughs) and chameleons and yeah Yeah. it's
1: so talking about vegas because vegas itself is its own character in this whole fucking movie yeah Mm -hmm. this is essentially mordor um (laughs) like (laughs) but but even more so it's 70s vegas so there's so much like time capsule and like this movie makes me weirdly nostalgic for something i've never experienced like and i think it's just because of this movie like what is going on in this movie when i'm watching this i'm getting feelings of like joy and nostalgia like Mm -hmm. of the environment in itself and just like again like this weird time capsule i Um, think it's
3: also that we had parents that were roughly in that age bracket yeah at that time and passing and down so, that
1: furniture from that era again yeah, uh, yeah or you've seen these <laughs> yeah. pictures
3: like oh you know you've seen photos of this time that that you can connect because they have people in them that you mm-hmm. know you know that might play a part in it too because i know what you mean i i have this kind of nostalgia for the the 60s and 70s then again a lot of the media we were exposed to at that time was like i watched a lot of brady bunch mm-hmm. in the 90s right you know? because yeah, that was grew-
2: being pushed we grew up on reruns of a lot of that stuff and uh, I mean stuff that like well, what we're doing to our kids now like hey check out these 90s things that I grew up on I mean our, our parents did some of that to us and luckily not everything was available but <laughs> like, yeah and the way it is now but yeah there, there, I think there is a lot of false nostalgia for and I don't know if it's false it's real actually but it's like it's not your nostalgia it's like cultural nostalgia
1: yeah yeah I, I mean uh, there's yeah. people for, for... like like even oh, well, Joe your daughter for a while if not now still like 80s stuff you were talking about. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. There's
3: a few songs still, like, she likes Tears for Fears and stuff, but not, like, their entire albums. just a few songs here and there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, stuff like that. Yeah. It's the same way that more people our age, maybe not exactly all of us, but well, at least Eric and I, probably didn't have a lot of Beatles on their mixtapes. Maybe one song, if, like, they played one, their dad happened you know, to play around him and they liked it, mm-hmm. but yeah i i found out later that not everybody was super into all the music i was <laughs> yeah yeah but a lot of my yeah. friends were like and i really like you and i were both into you know led zeppelin and the
2: beatles and stuff so I was like yeah
3: okay everybody likes this turns out no, yeah not everybody i just does. assumed everybody did too but
2: you know, not so much. <laughs> so yeah um but yeah so they're, they're i think every generation has that like nostalgia for the Maybe it's for your parents' generation. I mean, maybe that's where it comes from. I'm sure that is where it comes from. But
0: yeah.
2: um, the cool thing about if you go to Las Vegas, it, it's certainly everything, I mean, shit changes there just as often as anywhere. There's places that go up and go down. But if you do go down to old Las Vegas, like the old downtown old on strip, Fremont yeah. Street, mm-hmm. uh, it generally looks the same. You know, some of the names have changed. But it they've kind of preserved that look. So... Yeah what you see in this movie as the, you know, the old Vegas strip still kind of looks like the old Vegas strip. Like I sat, you know, on a, out a, pat, a patio restaurant, like at the end of that, when we were there last time and like looking down that strip and it looks the same as it looks in this movie and a hundred others that you see in yeah. this era. So it's kind of cool. It's worth seeing. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it was
3: shot on location in the nineties. So, right. you know, they haven't mm. changed, they didn't change it then. And they haven't now, it looks, they're starting to
2: maybe now, but yeah,
3: yeah. um, yeah. So you said the Bazooka Circus is no longer
2: that. Yeah, this and I think that like was it. based on. Uh, and I I could be wrong because the Circus Circus uh, Casino was over on like the New Strip at the north end of the, the like New Strip, uh, what's considered the Las Vegas Strip now. Um, it's not on Fremont Street with the rest of it, but it. I don't know. Having been inside it, it kind of has to be the same. And it was about that age. I mean, I think it's about that old. It would have been like newish at the time when this was. Um, I don't know. Didn't check my history out, but they definitely had the carousel bar. So if it wasn't this original place, it definitely is based on this place. Like any, it was yeah. uh, the same kind of thing. So, but yeah, they had the carousel bars, and they had the, the circus. There was literally a circus going on over top of the casino, like there were trapeze performers. Wow. And Do they have a like, Wolverine? I did not see a Wolverine, but it's got to be there somewhere, I assume. Or an so- orangutan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's get to brass Tess. How much for the monkey? Um. <laughs> Uh, so so it's interesting to like watch in this movie like uh this is a bad place to fucking have a masculine meltdown essentially as we see with dr gonzo and it just continues to spiral into hell like mm-hmm. for everybody and i think this is where you first like why he says like i'm think i'm starting to feel the fear and it wasn't just him you start to see like like you get a hint of it in the beginning that Doctor Gonzo might be well they're both very unstable but him especially more so violent, unstable yeah. and then this is where it starts to like spiral when they get him back to his back to the room, and everything just yeah. goes like like watching that scene it's like God this feels like like a real real kind of fear yeah. like anyone who's been around somebody who's not doing well.
2: Um, it does. It 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 actually reminds me of um you know a couple specifically a couple of friends that I have yeah when when going to excesses with whatever substances like some some of that unpredictability like you're almost a little bit like somebody you, you know and would trust any any day when they're not you know being taken over by substance all of a sudden they yeah. start to scare you and there's this uncertainty like that's all a very real feeling that I felt before. To yep. certain people so and yeah. this is the and scene where
1: it is said you can turn your back on a man but you can't turn your back yeah. on a drug and it's very yeah, much yeah. shows you
3: yeah it's example. it's a because yeah he walks in and gonzo's in the bathtub clothed <laughs> yeah the well, water's like brown
1: he's in his underwear he's in like, his underwear but he's still but wearing the shirt, shirt and coat. shit and like that gray brown like yeah water there's still grosses me the fuck grapefruit to this day. floating
3: around mm-hmm. yeah he's got a knife no, he doesn't pull up the knife yet.
1: No, he does. He he. Does hit, he? It was. It was.
3: He's earlier. already threatened him with the knife yeah. earlier. Yeah. Oh, well, that's earlier. right. And uh, he's trying to turn up the tape recorder because he's listening to uh, White Rabbit. Yeah, and, and he wants Airplane. it
1: thrown mm-hmm. into the bathtub with him when it peaks. Yeah. Um, and Gonzo is just sorry, not Gonzo. Uh, Raul is just. I just want two hours of sleep. Give yeah. me that,
0: <laughs> like
1: uh but yeah yeah he's tra- trying to stop him from like
2: you know killing himself which primarily because he, seems... he doesn't
1: want to explain things <laughs> like... right
2: he seems uncertain with whether he'll go through with it or not but at the same time you know doesn't mm-hmm. want to have to explain what's going on and and also yeah the selfish like i just want to get two hours of sleep <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, basically i think he's starting to sober up to the point where he realizes that he's fucking up his assignment <laughs> at this point yeah
3: totally um well because he 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 does go didn't mention he does go to the race but he gets there kind of late and the um the photographer he's got is kind of doing his own thing in a way and thompson's just like not feeling it anyway yeah Yeah. i keep saying thompson (laughs) Duke, just not feeling it anyway um and so he goes to the press tent and it's just a bunch of other guys kind of in the same boat he is and, you know, it's like seven in the morning and they're already drinking. Um, and so he, he doesn't even really know what the hell's going on with the race. He tries going out, but they don't really get anything, get any photos, because there's just dust everywhere. Hmm. Even so, his
1: beer, that one's when he's covering yeah. the beer the whole time, it just pours it <laughs> in its mud. Um, I think it's a good time to mention this, and it's throughout the movie, but there's a lot of parallels to the Vietnam War as well. Yeah. So earlier yeah. you brought up, like, how Thompson always fucking conferences these missions that he's on essentially yeah. that was headquarters um i think like that's also kind of played here as well like this is their battlefield like where you had the counterculture movement and there's always yeah. these elements that keep popping up too uh where you can see where like certain american divides take place where you have like those who are high on drugs and those who are high on american pride and the propaganda yeah um and you start to see like the delusion uh of others everywhere like failing to see the horrors of that uh in some some situations i think uh but also kind of parallel in it i don't know well in a place of excess Mm. too that's that's
3: a good backdrop for it yeah Mm -hmm. um so they so yeah he's starting to like really i need to focus on the story because i fucked up but I love that too. There's the scene when he's like, oh, okay, well, you want me to kill you? Shit. What are friends for? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, all right. But he's got the shower curtain and he's using it as a spear. And he's like, Don't <laughs> fuck with me. I I am Ahab. Yeah. Who hasn't <laughs> said that one a few times? And, um, you know, he tells him, I'm going to count to three and I'll throw it in there. And at the count of three, when White Rabbit peeks and he turns up the volume, he just whacks him in the head with a grapefruit. Yep. <laughs> and he runs out and barricades the door. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then he comes out with the, uh, with the knife and he's all furious and he really has to talk him down and I'm not eventually gonna, it works i'm
1: not gonna kill you man i just want to carve a z in your forehead carve a little z in your forehead yeah.
3: <laughs> so and there's a, a great scene though of of duke working and he has that monologue about
1: yeah this is where the move like the, the these parts yeah. in the movie is like where you start to realize that there's a deeper fucking theme to this that like you have to keep watching this and be invested every time to like get the subtle nuances of like what is trying to be told here and it's and and i'll tell you
2: watching this movie as a teenager and uh younger adult there were many many times where we would put this movie on and only make it through that first like 45 minutes or so like that was all the stuff people wanted to watch and oh really um i really think that at that point is yeah like you said that's where you really start to figure out maybe what this movie is about more than just kind of the the imagery and the excess of the first you know uh the first binge because there's binge number two later in the film as well yeah but yeah
3: but he also Uh, has yet another flashback um (laughs) yeah back to 1965 or something in san francisco and Mm -hmm. he's in a club and i don't know maybe that is jefferson airplane Playing, I don't know, but um, I wondered
1: that too when I was watching this. At the yeah. watching it this, time. but
3: it's it's obviously at like you know a little at a concert, and uh it's the first time he says he, he tried acid, and so he goes into well, the bathroom. But well, no, there's like know, a great scene too. He's like, "There I am, like, there I was, scene. holy shit, there I am!" And there's actually Hunter Thompson sitting as a cameo. What the hell? Yeah, the hell. And he goes in, and he decides to only take half the acid once, but the rest of it spills on the sleeve of his red woolen shirt. And in walks another hippie, played by Flea. Yeah, with yeah. <laughs> the, the Slow-voiced. What's the trouble? Well, tell him <laughs> who
1: gave him the LSD.
3: Oh, Lyle, love it. Yeah, Lyle, love it. Lyle <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: just looking for a place to cook. That it's always so like awesome. gets me every time. Like. It both grosses me out and, like, gives me some, like, sense of, like, joy at simultaneously. I don't know what it is. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and then the little follow-up to that story, because there's a guy that randomly walks in and sees it's, it's, flea, like... Flea licking, licking his
1: shirt. shirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I,
3: I ruined his life from that if moment any, on. With
1: any luck, I ruined his life. for yeah. life, yeah. yeah. For, forever, for the, of... for the rest of his days, he'd be wandering behind thin doors there are things going on beyond (laughs) his with red woolen shirts men with red woolen shirts (laughs) (laughs) getting kicks far beyond his
3: imagination or something (laughs) like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Um, but yeah then he goes into this really sentimental reflection on the failure of the counterculture the failure of the counterculture and and that's this is right out of the book like word for word um, of this
1: and what he points out is like the irony is that it was the drugs that ruined it not because the people who were part of it he says like we felt like this tremendous wave like we couldn't be stopped like because we were doing what was right um (laughs) we were doing what was right and, and and they couldn't just stop us we had the momentum but like after a while like the, the, got too kind of consumed in the excess of mm-hmm. the, the the freedom the drugs the every everything and you get more people who weren't really part of the cause add into that wave but not actually causing it to go up and even says like if you still look out into the far west you can see the high water mark where the yeah,
3: with, with the right kind of eyes
1: yep the high water you, mark where the wave like peaked and crashed yeah, and um, rolled, rolled back and then you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, there's a reason that they take these drugs because, like, we failed."
2: And then yeah these these are people who no longer know where they belong.
1: Yeah, and not only that, like, 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 like go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, just that, just they're they're trying to find their feet, and this is like, this is like the bad reaction to the end of you know the hippie era, <laughs> in a lot of right. ways, and yeah.
1: And so. so seeing this movie currently, like I said, I haven't seen it like pre-pandemic. Uh, since pre-pandemic since everything else like the new movements that have been coming forth like new civil rights movements and so forth so on and so forth and like seeing like parts of our younger millennials as well but primarily also the, the the younger gen z's like that momentum that that feeling and then like now being in my 30s like 33 almost 34 in a few months like starting to even further understand that, like that loss of momentum like that feeling that you had power uh and then the the reality just kind of crushing it Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and that like that loathing that's the loathing Mm -hmm. um of this film and then like this time just really feeling it especially with all the culture things that cultural things that are going on now and really hoping like God, I really hope that this wave doesn't break, you know, because yeah. Yeah. it has, because <laughs> it can.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a good bookend. Oh, maybe that's not the right word, but it's it's a good kind of conclusion to the first act of the movie, really. You yeah. know. Yep. Sure um, it, so. it it kind of brings things down as to why it why it sucks to be here
1: right now. Mm-hmm. You know why, why we it, must be heavily fucking in yeah. um, because none of it matters the second right. half
3: is really I feel more a reflection of and here's why here's where we are mm-hmm. rather you know the, the there's almost more of a nostalgia in the first half mm-hmm. right yeah. in a way because it's you know this looking back at that but everything is he keeps talking more about like American dream in, in certain instances in that first half in the second half, he wakes up, and there's still a lot of really funny parts. I mean, he wakes up, and what motivates him is Gonzo's gone, though he wrote a huge Z in ketchup on the mirror. No, on his um, forehead. On his forehead, yeah. yeah.
1: He sees it in the mirror.
3: Yeah. That's right, he sees it in the mirror. Um, and then he realizes he needs to get out of there because not only does he not have a story for the magazine, and Gonzo's gone, but there's this absolutely huge hotel bill. It, And I, I calculated it, too. It was something like we were racking up uh, an average of twenty five to thirty five dollars an hour for the last forty six consecutive hours, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a lot. That's a, I think it was something like close to fifteen hundred or something like that. But it was horrible. And that's, and that's 70s. That's that's in, in the seventies. That would um, be like a ten
1: grand bill today. You just made that con- like when you said like that first half has that nostalgia, and then the second half, and you just point out that scene like the second half is like dealing with the consequences yeah. of not just that particular moment, but also culturally and not yeah. just for the counterculture movement, but for the entire country. Cause the failure of the counterculture wasn't just there dealing with the consequences. They're just like the veterans themselves. Again, the parallels to Vietnam, they failed in their battle. They failed in their war. And now we're just reeling from like the trauma of it all. Meanwhile, the culture, the country itself suffers from that failure but fails to recognize the consequences and then now they in the later half of that movie are navigating the cultural well, con- the consequences well, in their own weird so, way i was
2: so, gonna say nar- narratively it's like waking up after a bender yourself like it, yep. the movie definitely changes it changes oh, yeah. tone and pace and everything like it's definitely meant to be a turning point i think narratively as well
3: well and i think kind of echoing what you're saying ryan if you even look at the assignment in the first half it's to cover a motorcycle race and a lot of these guys are still living fast and loose you know they're out racing motorcycles in the desert of Nevada in Vegas mm-hmm. you know they're they're they he never has a problem with the riders no <laughs> you know um you know they're he's like ah they're freaks they're good people the second assignment when he gets sent back to Vegas yes. after he wakes up he finds out he has another he has to stay uh is a uh a drug enforcement, a narcotics yeah. drug enforcement agency convention.
1: And and before he finds out about that, he gets, when he's leaving Vegas, pulled oh, over yeah. by a cop. Yeah. Played by Gary Busey. Played by very <laughs> <Yeah>. Gary Busey. <laughs> oh, God.
3: That I cop scene is hilarious, too, because he's getting pulled over. And he's like, most of, mo- what most people will do is uh, immediately pull over. Um, you know, when when they have a police officer behind them. But, but this one puts
1: contempt in the policeman's yeah. heart, or yeah. the cop's heart. Yeah.
3: yeah. Make the bastard chase you. <laughs> he yeah. will follow, but he won't know what to make of your turning signal. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just to let him know he's about to make a 180-degree turn at
1: speed. <laughs> mm-hmm. As far as he so, knows, yeah. you're just trying to yeah. find a place to park. <laughs> yeah, uh, pull, over pull over and whatever. peacefully talk.
3: And so he just, like, peels it out of there. The cop chases him. And he pulls over into this little parking lot thing. And by the time. It's like
2: a scenic overlook, I think. Yeah.
3: And by the time Busey cop rolls in, he's already like leaning against the car drinking a beer. (laughs) (laughs) And then it gets into a really weird. Any problem, officer? See.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It gets very lonely out here. Can I get a kiss?
3: Yeah. (laughs) Well, like he. First of all, he. When he asks to see his ID, again, maybe it was the subtitles or something, or I was just watching something, a detail that I hadn't seen before. But this time, when Busey takes his ID, he looks at him. Mm-hmm. And he looks at him again, he looks at the ID, he goes, Are you? Like, I think he recognizes Yeah, him. like Thompson himself. And because he doesn't really do much to search the car, I mean, he puts his hand on the drug case at one point, and yeah. then advises him to go take a nap. And, you know, starts giving him restaurant recommendations. It's strange.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: Get the land crab. Yeah. Guy like you, I like the land crab. Excellent seafood. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. a man of taste.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. And then so, right away, I never noticed has, that before.
1: Uh, had me on all fours. <laughs> he just starts getting in language.
2: Yeah.
3: It paints quite the picture. Um, and then when he's checking in there's a couple of good cameos as well
1: well before we, I, I do want to mention he does go towards the town that he told the cop that he was going to and then when he goes to turn he to sees baker yeah baker yep and he sees toby's hitchhiker character again oh, oh god yeah. and he fucking <laughs> peels out of there uh gets to the phone finds out he has like the assignment was to go back to vegas and so like gets pulled back into this black hole that is Vegas. Um yep. But the reason I bring that up because there's another fucking scene like that later in the film. That is. Yeah. Again, it feels relevant. like he oh, yeah. almost
2: almost escapes and then yeah mm-hmm. it pulls him right back in. But when yep. he's uh,
3: when he's waiting in line, well, first he walking in. He gets a new car, and he walks into the the conference hotel, and all of these cops are lined up. And again, if you've ever seen the book, the Ralph Steadman illustration of all of these cops, mm-hmm. they nailed it for yeah. the movie they all have that same kind of paunch figure and the, <laughs> the high fat neck the, with
1: the crew cut
3: the fade haircut yep. and everything yep the crew cuts and yep. and you see uh troy evans uh who's a, a actor he's been on a lot of tv series he's in he's actually in the first ace ventura and stuff like that yeah he's yeah. arguing with the uh hotel clerk at the flamingo hotel who's played by christopher maloney <laughs>
1: of all people from NYPD Blue in an awesome
3: cameo Um, you know and it's just like asshole police chief yelling at the clerk kind of a thing but he's like I knew what he was really saying listen you scrawny shithead (laughs) I've been fucked over in my time by my fair share of power hungry cops but guess what officer it's my turn I'm in (laughs) charge yeah that was just pure delight Mm -hmm. yep that was great and then so but then he gets into his hotel room and this gets weird. Again.
2: <laughs> Again. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's always gonna be Gonzo we, too. It's it kind of starts around two, but it's like the darker version of the first one. Like it's mm-hmm. the more realistic. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. Know. So Gonzo well, splits
1: <coughs> out of his fucking mind, coming back from plane ride, finds a young Christina Ricci, like definitely teenager. I can't remember the exact Ricci
2: playing yeah playing young or younger than she really is yeah yeah,
1: yeah. uh questionable uh, uh, gets her drunk and high on LSD brings her back to the room and Rule does not want to deal with it <laughs> and uh-uh. so he yeah. goes like, he takes right it away to... he knows
2: it's trouble
1: like he's mm-hmm. like nope not doing this right. yep so I'm going to crank up the cringe to convince my companion here to uh, make the decision on his own to ditch this potential problem, yeah. Because when she cal-
2: Mar- <clears throat> is it Mary is Mary's her name, right? Yeah. Lucy. Uh,
1: Lucy, 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 and
2: yeah. Lucy, Lucy, Lucy is Lucy from Montana. Girl because she paints pictures of barbara streisand
3: (laughs) what what's what town is that you're from montana montana yeah (laughs) um yeah she paints these bad pictures of barbara streisand that she sees on tv TV. yep and and she they're gonna go give it to her and she's a christian
1: freak too she's she's, yeah
3: yeah um (laughs) in the book it's a little more disturbing because well first of all before i go into that um when he finds out that you know he's going back for this thing, he actually is talking on the phone to this um, uh, guy keeps saying Acosta, um, you know, to Gonzo, who's in his yeah. office. So and he's like, "I made all the reservations." So essentially, this guy's using this another excuse to come party, yeah, mm-hmm. and just get fucked up. And so he's like, "I'm flying out." You know, he had to go back to actually doing something, um, but now he's coming back to And in the book. And this is fucked up. But when Duke walks in and gets bitten on the ankles by Lucy, and he's like, "What the fuck?" When uh, when he walks out, he's actually naked, like butt naked yeah. out of the bathroom. So it implies that a little bit more has happened than just, you know. Yeah, and oh, here I, he's he's you know.
1: wearing the comforter over the like that's on the beds as like this weird robe. Robe, yeah, yeah. It's very weird. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I think the movie you know
2: tiptoes around it enough to get by the censors sen- or whatever the MPAA, but uh, certainly implies it's not a good situation. So, mm-mm. and I think it's at that point you, you're already kind of terrified of Gonzo as it is, but I think you start to question like, oh, okay, well, this is this is a human being that is greatly disturbed, and I'm not sure is good is really a good human at all. Like, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I've actually read a couple. Essays about this scene in the book and in the movie about not that it matters. Like, is Lucy a real person, uh, or right. is is this just one of these Gonzo fabrications, or is it based on something loose? Considering that back at the time, doing something like that if she was like sixteen or seventeen wouldn't have been as frowned upon and you know accepted as a bad thing as it is today. Right. So I'm not sure, but there there are some interesting. <laughs> parallels with what what this minor character represents because she's got more to play in this than like the hitchhiker mm-hmm, who in himself right. has some symbolism right like a uh,
2: part of know, hippie culture i, part part I feel like all culture, the cameos or yeah. the side characters kind of each represent a facet of and i could be over reading the text but i think that's
1: i uh, I think the hitchhiker again is like a good example of what like, like i mentioned previously is like the members of the counterculture movement who were just kind of tagalons, hence Henchhiker. They mm-hmm. weren't part of the greater thing, but they just wanted to enjoy the drugs. Um, I can see that with him here. And but then, I
3: see, yeah, I see Lucy is kind of representing, and here's what it was doing to the younger teens. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what the failure of the counterculture has done to the younger teens. It's one of the well, first things you see after you're introduced to all these police officers who are about, you know, militant. You're then seeing what this...
1: Bounce back in culture has done to well, not kids. just it, primarily the crit, like, she was real highly religious and like puritan ish, yeah, yeah, naive and pure, so easily could fall for these things, and also like because of the lack of inexperience, <clears throat> like, how quickly, like, all control is now taken
3: well, from you, you know, like you were saying in his soliloquy or whatever about like all of these other people started joining the counterculture but they weren't really in it it just got too big Mm -hmm. and it collapsed here's the dangers of some of
2: those people and gonzo's one of them yeah yep you know absolutely yep well and the the fact that problem we're, we're seeing like you know in some of the scenes and i guess this scene actually follows this one but um you know the ridiculous reefer madness style uh, documentary film and the way that they're talking about marijuana and no your dope on society. Oh yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> we're at laughing at that pants. in a way
2: of like oh that's you know l- listen to this crazy talk but at the same time we also see an example of these exact same things actually happening. Yeah. yeah. Um which is kind
1: of a cre- kind of an interesting comment on <laughs> You know. but also like the one comment like when i'm surrounded by cops and at one point gonzo's talking he mentions the word blood he goes don't use that word they'll go crazy <laughs> like yeah <laughs> like that's yeah. there and that's the that's the funny thing is like these uh these groups of police officers like the painting the notion that violence and authority is their drug And then again, fast forward to modern day, watching this movie going, oh God, this is the one that is even more fucking relevant. Uh, And, you know, the, using the excuses of various, like, like vastly blowing like substance abuse out of proportion, just to use it as a means to do the aggressive authoritarian Mm -hmm. actions. Uh, and, And again, like you pointed out earlier with the scene with the clerk, like, having moments in society in which, like, they can use their rules against these people who abuse the rules all the time. Right. Um, Or use the rules to abuse, more accurately. Um,
3: Yeah. We also have, I don't know if he's listed in the cameo, unfortunately he's not, but there's the, uh, one of the guys that gets up to speak what's his name i know he passed away I, unfortunately but he's in green mile he was on sesame yeah. street for a while he's in jurassic park 3 and yeah the guy's great
2: he yep. is. i feel bad what i can't remember his name, his name. I look yeah up. learn it now Created and
1: throw it, it in the it. edit yeah <laughs> 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 oh.
2: but yes i know exactly
1: who you're talking about the guy that plays like the, yeah. the professor or whatever like that the gets force up and talks at the, the four yeah. stages of like in like marijuana enlightenment whatever yeah yeah well the Ooh,
3: groovy the beginning when he's like you know they they call a, a marijuana joint a roach because it resembles a cockroach <laughs> it's like you have to
1: be high on acid to think that a fucking joint looks like a cockroach <laughs> oh god but that's a good so, like it's a good symbolization a good example of like quote-unquote experts just adding fuel mm-hmm. to the misinformation fire and then modern, looking at modern day again, and like looking at all these quote unquote, in, like intellectuals, uh-huh. uh, again just throwing fuel on an unnecessary fire. It's like, oh god.
3: <laughs> like, well, and they're doing coke while they're watching all this too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they go back to their room, and they're like, oh, you know, forget this. We're not going to sit through this whole conference, and. Duke, Duke and Gonzo find out that Lucy's called, and so Gonzo's like, all right, I'm going to get rid of her. And mm-hmm. Duke's freaking out because
1: of the whole Lucy situation. Mind and you, so- I think a good example of what Lucy is, if we're using the Vietnam uh, landmine, uh, yeah. th- analogy, she's a landmine. Yeah. Like, she can go off at any moment. Like, something bad can happen at any moment and destroy their lives if she becomes yeah. aware. Because he starts
3: having <laughs> visions of uh, being sentenced to double castration.
1: Yeah, um, I don't remember so, what they did to me but I know it was very bad <laughs> and so they um,
3: so Duke's freaking out and mm-hmm. it was Gonzo's like okay I'm going to take care of this as your attorney I advise you to take a hit out of the little brown bottle in my shaving kit mm-hmm. <laughs> which he then explains not much just, not a, much, yeah, just, just a, a taste a little, just and a taste. Duke pretty much drinks the bottle yeah, yeah. and they're talking um, about
1: the fictional drug Adrenochrome. Adrenochrome, yeah. Which, which it is did, fictional. Did you catch that earlier on in the movie, like way earlier, there was a news announcement of a woman beheaded in a parking lot? And that the fiends who did it were trying to get the The, aden- the pineal gland. Yep, yep. Yeah,
3: it was the when the carpet's moving up the guy's leg when they yep. first get to the casino for the race. So they kind of yep.
1: like... <clears throat> in a way, like... Yeah, add that too. It's, it's showing
3: that it's there in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes on this terrible trip again Horrible. it's a fake drug but it's meant to symbolize when you just go way too far and meanwhile um, like yeah and it's not like made like,
1: up faking that he's getting attacked yeah by somebody like really playing the thing which only adds to the fucking
2: yeah yeah and it's it's not a fake drug as in made up for this movie. It's like an urban legend drug. Yeah. Something yeah. that, that, you know, people there's a, there's large groups of people out there that believe this actually exists and not probably just cause of fear and loathing. But, um, a lot of it stems from again, drug paranoia and, uh, satanic panic, fear of cults and such. Um, yeah, because he got the you know, drug from a people were, satanist. yeah, it had to be harvested mm-hmm. from somebody's, you know, adrenal Which... gland. And, uh, the, the, yeah, the
3: uber it. nerd in me will mention that adrenochrome is a
2: real chemical compound but it's not something that you know. yeah in and that in, people were murdering people and harvesting their glands to, right. to take it as drugs i mean it comes straight out of that paranoia so i i think it found its way into this book based on that paranoia and the kind of crap that they were hearing at this mm-hmm. conference i think it's all a reaction to that like it, it is M- M- i just M-
3: read M- too, M- and this is kind of interesting that um, according to at least wikipedia it was the subject of limited research from the 50s through the 70s as a potential <laughs> cause of schizophrenia oh it's a, okay it's, it's yeah. a compound produced by the oxidation of adrenaline epinephrine so mm-hmm. it was a thing that was studied i could see that you it's know, fentanyl right it's like fentanyl yeah <laughs> it gets out well yeah and um <laughs> yeah so it 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 has this mm. reputation but no it's not thing but you're right it really did feel the satanic panic so he has this terrible outburst he starts seeing gonzo turn into this giant demon thing
1: which again great effects beast with like six tits on the back six hairy tits on the back beautiful fucking
3: tits Um, (laughs) and then he just kind of blacks out and wakes for up no
1: no one you don't know how for how long he blacks how out. how long but yeah it's like know. the
2: beginning of the hangover here like he just like mm-hmm. blacks out and wakes up in this vegas room it just he's, he's got like got
3: legendarily
2: a, trashed he's like,
3: got a tape recorder microphone oh electrical tape to his face <laughs> he's got a lizard tail and got a strap-on lizard <laughs>
2: tail yeah yeah and and like booties which yeah. the lizard tail thing, I, I can't help is a callback to the early scene. Yeah. Depict, depict, I'm depicting sure. the, the, the Vegas regulars as lizards. It's kind of like a be I've become one the, of them. T- the transformation. It, like, and, I'm pretty sure yeah, like that's one of the actual begun, props at least. too. I've wondered about yeah. that.
1: Like maybe they yeah. just grabbed
3: it. A lot of the stuff in the background also kind of leads to that conclusion as well. Of this is like the bad nightmare because like that whole, I mean, the room is full of water. Uh-huh. like literally he's sloshing through six to eight inches of water
0: yeah and be- oh, the bed is
3: on fire it's like all charred out and smoldering there's like a shrine to debbie
1: Reynolds it's very <laughs> there's yeah, like a yeah. half pig statue wearing like boots high heels yeah. yeah in the toilet and, and there's it, like yeah, a gun in the toilet yeah it's all really surreal. But again, so for this half of the movie, this wasn't about like the joy of the drugs, right? This was all about consequences because we didn't like in the first part of it, we were on the journey with them, and this one we don't get to be. You just hear the remnants as he finds out uh, off his tape recorder the yep. events. he's trying um, to piece
2: it together. Yep. Yeah, he, he gets flashes of memories and and then recordings of things that he played plays back on the tape. Yep. Um, again, yeah, it's one of, of which is.
3: Um, them late night at a a diner in Vegas, probably yeah. off the old strip, uh, and Gonzo makes some disgusting comments to the waitress.
1: Gives her a napkin with. Played by Ellen Beauty. Barkin, by the way. Yeah, yeah. The question mark was emphasized. Question mark was emphasized,
3: and yeah. I mean, he assaults her because she's burned out. She's exhausted. She's tired of dealing with assholes, and. Mm so she spits at him and then cl- threatens to call the police if he doesn't leave. And he pulls out this huge knife and cuts the phone off the cable.
2: The huge knife that he keeps. Very huge knife. Yeah. It's the, like a Bowie yeah. knife
3: thing. And, uh, then buys a pie from her and they leave. But mm-hmm. it's this, it, it's a serious scene where like Duke is uncomfortable yeah. as hell. It is.
2: It is totally devoid of any sense of like fun crazy energy like it's very scary and very serious and um and i think I, I think it's one of the genius things this movie you know does is it 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 gets you to that point the rock bottom you know like mm-hmm. and and duke certainly realizes it well and they even I, it, say if you find yourself this ex- on the
1: north side of vegas yeah you, it's usually because you did something wrong yeah. yeah
2: and there's this extended moment after gonzo has left that he sits there like he wants to say something, but there's nothing he get. Like he's trying to decide how he can make this okay, and there's just nothing he can do. So he to, leaves, taking to, the
1: plate to, with him. But he stops, and then and brings the then brings the plate back. <laughs> Which is yeah. the sign of just like that's something he would have done, like that hedonist nature of his. But in that brief moment, mm-hmm. like I don't need to make this worse for this person. Like, this is the best that I can really do with what I... And it's nothing at all. Yeah. Like, But it still shows a difference between him and Gonzo. The empathy. There's still empathy, weirdly, there.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then... Yeah, then they attempt to buy an orangutan in one brief scene. Mm-hmm. Um, But really, the, the, the movie kind of comes to a conclusion as Duke drops off Gonzo at the airport, which is a great little fun last-minute thing, because... They're on the wrong side of the highway. Hold on, and he says, "I've we never missed a plane."
1: And you got to mention when they're going down the street and why they get on oh, the oh highway. Yeah, because and again, they... there was a callback. <laughs> they see Lucy. They see Lucy walking around <Yeah>. with paintings,
3: <laughs> and they freak
1: the fuck out and just, <laughs> and then that's how they get on the wrong side of the highway. Continue. Yeah. Sorry, I just yeah. had to so do he... that again. It he, happens. He
3: cuts through the interstate, crosses all those lanes. You know crashes through the fence in this convertible and takes him right up to the side of the plane, which again, with the subtitle saw, and I finally heard the line where, uh, Benicio del Toro says, they're going to blame this on me
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> or something to that effect. No, but, they won't just yeah. say so it just
1: picked you up or some shit. There's
3: like a, and then there's the line as he's getting on the plane, um, where Duke describes him as one of God's rare prototypes, a mutant, too strange to live but too rare for replication or something no, like too that.
1: too weird uh too weird to live uh too rare to die too rare to die yeah
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah and in in reality um oscar zeta costa who again gonzo is based on uh, at didn't really get along with thompson once this book was published because yeah, didn't he, didn't, why. he didn't really <laughs> like how he was portrayed, especially the Samoan thing. Um, yeah. Because he's of, of, I believe, Mexican descent, but, you know, yeah, he, grew, he was born and raised in Texas. Um, but yeah, he actually was quite a, a prominent civil rights activist. And they didn't, they tried, I guess, collaborating one more time after this, but it didn't really work out. They just didn't get along. And then I think it was 1975. Um Acosta disappeared. He's yep. never been seen since. Yeah. Yep. So, but actually, yeah, a, a prominent figure, though. So, even though in this way he's kind of portrayed in this, I can see why he wouldn't be happy. Or at the book, I can see why he wouldn't be happy.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially if... Well, I guess even if it is true, he wouldn't be happy about it. But, like, if, especially <laughs> if it was, you know, for entertainment value that you were depicted as...
3: Yeah. Whatever. And I think it was, like, he the way they came to a con- a- an agreement as he wanted his name to be on the dust jacket or something like
0: that. It's,
3: well, I don't know. That's something weird that I read, but, um, yeah. so yeah, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. And that's mm. what got me into the craziness <laughs> where I was walking
2: around with a cigarette holder for a while. Right. right. Me. Wearing it was uh, too uh, many nar- Bermuda shirts and yeah.
1: Yeah. For, for me, it's head. just narration and Hunter's voice that's that's what i took away from this movie and took with me for the rest of my life weird quotes and inner dialogue voiced by hunter s thompson (laughs) well vanity and all yeah i
3: i I read for the i read for the casting that again this they've been trying to get a movie of this made for years um people considered for the role have included jack nicholson marlon brando dan Aykroyd, john belushi John Malkovich those, for Duke. Those were
2: the pairs, though. It yeah, going to be those. That's the the or the Duke Gonzo pairs. So the yeah. Aykroyd Belushi was going to be, um, yeah. That would have been interesting. Um,
3: Same so, with the Nicholson Brando. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, Malkovich was once considered the role of Duke. I could see that maybe working at one point. Um,
1: oh, those are very two different voices. Yeah.
3: And Cusack was also John Cusack was considered, um, but I also yeah. want to mention briefly yeah. that there has been another version. I don't not of this, but aspects of this included, uh, but another Hunter Thompson based movie, and that's where the Buffalo Room, where Bill Murray, yeah, plays Thompson and uh, Peter Boyle, and Peter Boyle yes. plays Gonzo, Gonzo, yeah. or, or Laszlo as they call him in that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's not nearly as good
1: it's, it's not it good. has its moments but but yeah. speaking of the cast with this like the dedication like del toro and uh depp like yeah. went for their characters like depp really got drunk and thompson shaved his head that was the only yeah, way to get johnny depp, it. depp yeah.
2: lived in in hunter thompson's basement for four months prepping yep. for this role I and heard... kind of
3: yeah shadowed him I heard that his uh, bedside table was a 50-gallon drum of gunpowder. Oh, that would make
1: sense, yeah. But, again, that's he the He said, like, the of... first time that he met Thompson, too, he went to the bar in that area, and he just came in with fucking cattle prod. <laughs> like, like, just barged right in. I mean, that's what I love about
3: <laughs> Hunter Thompson is the legends behind him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And then this, I think, is a very... It's one of... This is a novel, right? It's semi-autobiographical, I guess. Um, you know, we were talking about Rum Diary being his only novel. I guess you could c- consider this one because usually his other books, like Where the Buffalo Roam... Not Where the Buffalo Roam. Um, uh, you know, like Songs of the Doomed and Hell's Angels. They're either a collection of essays, writings, or, well, Hell's Angels is more you know, is nonfiction, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, but this is a good accessible one, like to introduce someone to Hunter times because it's funny. And he is very funny, but this is definitely the most outrageous of his stories. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, it has the most cartoonish elements.
1: So and really it really get to you know. adapt to his delivery style. Yeah. Cuz yeah. it is in the book. Like when I was reading the book, I'm like this is for bet verbat- almost verbatim. Mm-hmm. Like I yeah. couldn't help but have the voice in my head as I was reading these things. And also picture in the scenes in the movie. Like there are differences, mm-hmm. but overall
2: oh. like and Terry Gilliam, they had a lot of screenplay problems right up until I think I mentioned that earlier. Really, right up until they were about to shoot, start shooting, mm-hmm. and they had to part ways with the people, the writers, and he had to do a rewrite on the screenplay or wanted to do a rewrite on the screenplay, and he had about ten days to go, so he said he unintentionally he hadn't really approached it this way from the get-go but unintentionally made like the most faithful adaptation that he's ever made of anything because uh-huh. he literally cannibalized the book because he was trying to get a screenplay put together in 10 days because they were not happy with anything they had before that so mm-hmm. um so yeah he was they were shooting out of the book at a lot of times he was just taking pieces of it and,
3: and i think that works because the book itself is written in these little stories Mm. yeah and and they they thread together but it's a really great narrative where each scene is a little story by itself and i think that's how it was originally written right it was written for a magazine originally in these chapters yep so it's a series of
1: stories turned into a book and then from that book turned into a movie like this but it's this weird chain of just like well shit this is not what it was supposed to be originally but here we are Mm-hmm. I like uh, the quote that I,
3: it's on the Wikipedia page. But Gilliam said, um, while interviewing with Sight and Sound magazine, highlighted if he had updated the movies to the '90s, it would be just a story about two people going to excess. But by keeping it in the '70s with that Vietnam backdrop, loss of the American dream, it it kept that. You know, it, as he put it, um,
2: offers reasoning to the characters' actions and total. I don't think you can move this. No. no No, i think that's a terrible idea to update it because there's just nothing in the 90s that speaks to the the same kind of cultural um of people i mean there's there are points in history you could you know you could arguably set it but well apparently the
3: studio actually pushed for it to be updated to the 90s yeah and again same source for the quote um he looked at the film and said no that's apologizing i don't want to apologize for this thing it is what it is it's an artifact." yeah if it's an accurate representation of that book which i thought was an accurate representation of a particular time and people and place of people yeah i think that's spot on Yeah, this has to be in this
1: and it explains why some elements of our society are the way that they are in a weird way it really does like when you watch this the more you watch this you start to make connections of that would explain why certain attitudes and feelings are kind of where they are this doesn't explain everything but this gives you a piece that mm-hmm. adds to this puzzle of our past and yeah. what is for pro- what we can project for our future like i said there's a lot of similarities currently happen now in the last few years a lot of upheavals and we'll see what's going on yeah we have our own nixon in form of trump <laughs> you know yeah. all kinds of fucking shit yeah
3: So, uh, do you guys have any last or final thoughts and a grade for figure and Loving in Las Vegas, though I'm pretty sure I know what all the grades are going to be?
2: Uh, Eric, let's start with you. Um, yeah, this was a good one to rewatch, because even though I've seen it many times, it was, um, interesting to watch it again, because it's probably been, I feel like it might have been as much of a decade since the last time I, I had seen it, um, and you know things change a lot with age and i think i appreciate it even more so than i did then i i think i always realized there was something poignant about this movie but um i think it seemed i I feel like i got it a lot more than maybe i had in the past like got what it was saying about you know about the 60s about counterculture about the giant failure and the death of the american dream and uh that it's not just like a funny drug movie it is a funny drug movie in places but yeah it's uh i think there's a whole lot more to it and i think that's a nice little uh in a nutshell of hunter thompson you know at least at least the way he he characterized himself in his writing um you know a lot of it's it's, there's there's a lot of little funny excess in his his you know language and uh just kind of the way he relates to people and he'll go on these like little like spastic diatribes but but then at the same time, he, he reigns it all back in and he's, he's able to be be very poignant. He's a fa- fantastic writer at place, mm-hmm. places as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's really well done. We we talked so much about kind of the, the events of the film and I, I think we did mention the performances at places, but um, the commitment to these characters given by the cast is is top-notch, uh, just absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, the movie itself is is just fantastic uh as from an artistic standpoint everything from i don't think we got into like the cinematography how uh the, the color schemes and stuff change with the different kinds of drugs and and influences mm-hmm. that, that are going on yeah. uh and so i mean terry gilliam's a very expressive um artistic filmmaker as uh and uh so i don't think that's really surprising but i think he happened to be the right guy to get this job at the right time that made this movie you know memorable versus something like where the buffalo roam or um you know what this could have been something more similar to that and a a missed attempt but uh getting hunter thompson on board with it was it was a good move in the first place and then then getting the cast and and the director and everything it just uh everything came together and they really did justice to the source material which doesn't happen all that often in hollywood actually <laughs> so uh yeah it all all kind of panned out i know this was not as critically as successful as i i feel like it's a it's such a well-loved movie among people our age that i think i forget that it was kind of a a, a middling movie critically like people didn't you know i i think a lot of people a lot of critics didn't care for it a whole lot so i think it's uh rotten tomatoes has it at about a 50 now which is technically a rotten movie so mm-hmm. um it's uh always been a, a favorite of mine I feel like I, I've always thought it was uh, well done even when maybe I was watching it more for the drug references and visual uh, aspects more than the story itself but um, anyway not to be too long-winded because we're it's kind of a long one already but yeah this is this is a a plus material for me um, it's one of the it's one of those favorite kind of classics that's always going to be in my collection whatever form that takes so uh just good stuff all around i think and uh, one of the most poignant looks at the uh death of the 60s i guess if you want to put it mm. that
1: way <laughs> <laughs> what about you ryan um I, I i adore this film it's one of my top films of all time i never thought it was going to be uh prior to ever seeing it all i ever really knew about it was like the posters i would see randomly like was just so distorted i would see the name johnny depp i'm like who what character does he play because they're fucking so distorted you don't even know that's johnny depp there um but find out that like haven't seen this over and over and over again like constantly seeing uh the beauty and the ugly like this is an ugly movie it's a beautiful movie like eric mentioned like the way it was shot the way it was done everything was great but like the elements the subject matter is ugly um and it's important to kind of like find the beauty in that ugliness like that's how um you progress really you learn uh and I, it's fascinating hearing like how this like why did you say it was like it, it was still technically rotten by t- those review standards yeah yeah those to are
2: 50 so yeah
1: those are people who are missing the fucking point <laughs> those are the people who watched it halfway through and like oh what the fuck is this madness and i'm like it's madness it exists these people were real exaggerated but real and they're not the only ones anyone who's actually seen this side of our culture knows just how fucking crazily crazy accurate this can be uh, in terms of, like, the fear, and, you know, and all those kind of things, um, I will always rewatch this movie, I think, I'm gonna keep trying to watch it every year, um, again, to kind of always remind me of where things kind of go, and where things are, and it's always good to have that voice, and this is easily an A-plus movie, no Mm. fucking doubt, and on top of that, I would suggest, uh, for those who are interested uh, to check out the documentary for no good reason made in 2012 mm-hmm. it's about ralph Stedman, the illustrator um and johnny depp actually is in there he's he, he he's like the host of the documentary but mm-hmm. that is a great movie to watch as well because you really get to also get further into thompson if you really if thompson had an actual sidekick it's not gonzo it's ralph steadman and his yeah. actual career um and the way that these kind of two were close uh through like shown in that film like that one i always suggest uh heavily towards anyone who enjoys mm-hmm. hunter s thompson stuff or fear and Loathing in particular
3: i mean i'll i'll always have a strong connection to this film because that personally just because this was my first real introduction as a teenager into the the 60s counterculture and what happened i mean i grew up with parents that were i don't want to say hippies but kind of um but they were my parents, right? By the time I really got to know them, they were, you know, it was the 80s. So this was I'd, this was music I had grown up hearing. But, and I, you know, would pick up drug references here and there in, in things. But this was that, I think, a, a good history lesson to me, if for better or worse. Um, yeah. Of what that time period in America was really like. And again, it, it caught my attention because it was cartoonish. Um but those little bits of really intense philosophy that are peppered throughout it did resonate with me enough where it introduced me to Thompson. And yeah, he's one of my favorite authors. Um, when he, when he died in 2005, I was devastated as I think most fans of his were, uh, or anybody who even liked, just liked this movie and were turned on to his work from that. Uh, the film itself, it was always considered unfilmable, right? But, and I guess that other 50% that hated it or the 50% that hated it, um, they, I don't know how well they would like the source material anyway, because I think this is about as good as you're gonna get uh, at that time. You, Terry Gilliam doing it, that's right there. You're, that's your best bet, and it clearly worked. Uh, you know, you got the right effects, you got the right visuals and stuff to kind of get the point across how absolutely insane this these series of situations are. And I really didn't again didn't notice it until this viewing how. I always realized the film was separate into kind of a first and a second half, and they were different. But how they're different, and kind of what they represent. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth a rewatch, even if you've seen it before. And you know, the modern parallels are uh, add further fear and loathing that you know history is repeating itself. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it definitely an A plus for me too. This is one of my favorite films, so I was you know happy to to uh, dust this one off again. And yeah, not nearly enough. I need to watch this one more regularly. Uh, we would also love to hear what any of our listeners think about Fear and Loathing* in Las Vegas or any of the other films that we've kind of talked about, uh in references like Where the Buffalo Roam. Um, or just what are your personal thoughts on the author Hunter S. Thompson? Please feel please feel free to share any of those questions, comments, criticisms, or witticisms to the Video Junker Podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Video Pod or on Facebook and Instagram at our main video junker podcast pages. If you write it, we'll read it, and we look forward to hearing from you.
2: And we hope you'll come back and join us here at the Video Junkyard Podcast for more uh, exciting movie reviews. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, Dolls, Wayne's World, La Bamba, and an Ewoks movie coming up in the near future. (laughs) So let's uh, come back and join us for that, as well as uh, check out our backlog of over 250 other shows that we've done over the past five years. By the way, we didn't even announce on... on, on the air that we had an anniversary recently and we've been uh, doing this for five years so yeah <clears> yeah <throat> thank you for anyone or all of you that have been there through the whole ride and uh, keep coming back to join us and uh, if this is your first time then i uh, hope you'll be here for the next five years and we uh will all try to be as well so that's right <laughs> thanks Bye. tony but, yes <laughs> my personal shows. i'm pretty
1: sure he'll watch this uh, or this one, so. yes good
2: wow. hi tony
3: We want to thank you once again for listening to the video junker podcast until next time. I'm
2: Joe Peterson. I'm miracle Branson, and I'm Ryan Seisko.
0: We're all wired into a survival trip now No more of the speed that fueled the sixties That was the fatal flaw in Tim Leary's trip He crashed around America selling consciousness expansion Without ever giving a thought to the grim meat hook realities that were lying in wait for all those people who took him seriously all those pathetically eager acid freaks who thought they could buy peace and understanding three bucks a hip. But their loss and failure is ours too. What Leary took down with him was the central illusion of a whole lifestyle that he helped create. A generation of permanent cripples, failed seekers, who never understood the essential old mystic fallacy of the acid culture. The desperate assumption that somebody, or at least some force,
2: tending the light at the end of the tunnel. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend.
1: You just can't let them go?
0: Go. Stay on the road. Keep
2: clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Video Junkyard Podcast, on Twitter at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram as Video Junkyard Podcast. All one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard.